course, I, I was out last week, but thank you for your prayers. I'm doing great. I'm just, I guess I'm just working my way through all the variants out there. So this is my second round of COVID, and I missed the Delta, so I don't know what that one was like. But uh, the OG one and Omicron was actually not too bad for me. So I appreciate your prayers, and uh, uh, thank you for, it was really stressful. You know, I, I got the test back like Saturday night. I was like, oh, man, the test says I'm positive, even though I felt fine. And it was Saturday, so I called the guys that I can't show up. But, you know, in the providence of God, it was elder panel, and it went wonderfully well. So I'm just grateful for that. Thank you for your prayers. Also, it's a, it's a great Sunday for a number of reasons. Uh, number one, because it's my wife's birthday today. Yes. <laughs> Gentlemen, notice I didn't say what birthday it is, right? So younger men just know, is this our birthday celebrator, right? So we are going out after this and, and celebrating as a family. Um, but just, we're also starting a new series here at Christ Community Church. I'm really excited about it. Uh, it, it, it every time we start the new year, we, it's a good time to do new things. And so having a new series is what we're going to launch into for about the next five weeks. Before we launch into the study, that's going to take up the lion's share of our year, which is going to be a study of what I call Paul's magnum opus, the, the epistle to the Romans. And so I'm really looking forward to that. This series, though, the reason I, I thought it would be great for us to do a series on the Holy Spirit, a couple of things that were going through my mind in the last several months. Uh, number one, for those of you who may not know, in our, in our church, we did a series on God the Father called Behold Your God. Uh, it was about six weeks on the attributes of God. Then we did a 10-week series, I think it was, on the um, God the Son called One Act of Righteousness. We did that in the summer. And I thought it would be nice to kind of round that out to do a whole series on the Trinity. So let's do a series on the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. And so we'll have covered the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit by doing that. Uh, another reason, though, that I thought this would be a great series to do is when we were studying through the book of Revelation, and man, can you believe we actually studied the entire book of Revelation as a church, it, it was clear so often the, the calls to endurance and to be faithful and victory and to, be, and to overcome those who were sealed by God, those who followed after the Lamb, it was really clear that the, the active agent in those realities was the Spirit of God. And I thought, man, that's something that we, we, we could stand to know more about, be more conscious about. And so as we're studying Revelation, I really got a hunger that let's jump into thinking about the Holy Spirit. And then another thing that came through is as I was reading through my daily Bible reading, I do one of those daily Bible reading plans, coming across Luke chapter 11. And, and it is the, 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 the section where Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. And it's a section that we often kind of misunderstand because it's also that passage of Luke's gospel where it says, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you shall find, knock and the door will be answered. And sometimes we think, well, that means God's going to give me the things I pray for. But we often miss what Jesus says to the tail end, which is so powerful. He says, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your heavenly Father desires to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And, and I look back, and, and the whole context of, of, of what Jesus was saying is this is how you kind of plug into the kingdom dynamic. And, and yeah, you can pray for the things you might want, but what I was encouraged by was Jesus ultimately knows, the, the, God knows what we need above all, and that is the Holy Spirit. I just love that reality, being a father myself. I know what it's like. I love to give good gifts to my family, to my children. And so our Heavenly Father says, taps into that, says, how much more so will we give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And, 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 and that's been more of a constant prayer of mine, that I, I want that reality in my life. Last reason I thought this would be a good series is because as a culture, we are always uh, part of the American culture. Is we always like to improve. We always like to new and improve. We like to get the inside scoop. We like to get the life hack. We want to make things work better. So we try out, you know, uh, self-improvement books or mindfulness or um, 
you know, essential oils or a new diet or a new workout program, whatever it is, we like that change and we like that improvement. And, and maybe for some of you, maybe one or two of you here, your New Year's resolution or change is to start checking out churches. So the point is, all these things, all these tributaries were coming in, and I thought, yeah, we need to do a series on the Holy Spirit. And I guess the last reason would be, I think, a general lack of understanding and teaching on the Holy Spirit himself. And so I thought, let's do a five-week series. It's going to be short, but, but it is a, a, a kind of an introduction to the person and purposes of the Holy Spirit as he's working in the life of his people in the church. And so that's what this series is going to be about. For those of you who are, are wanting to do a deeper dive, I'm so grateful for the technologies we have today. If you want to do a deeper dive into this and, and to see the, the thickness of the Bible... I want to encourage you on our website, we have a catalog of all the last seven years of sermons. I want to encourage you to a couple of ones. When we did our series on God the Son, there are three sermons on there, Christ's Session, Christ's Pentecost, and an excellent sermon by Chris Lim on Christ's Intercession that really talk about and overlap what we're talking about in this series. Now you say, well, that, yeah, but that was about Jesus, and this is a series about the Holy Spirit. But yes, they are working in concert. So if you want a deeper dive into the thickness of what the Spirit of God is doing in tandem with the triune, you know, with God the Son, those three sermons would be great. Or particularly from our series, So Great a Salvation, we just talked about this past um, October, on the God who gives life, regeneration. Anyway, and, and you don't have to worry about writing those down. I'll put those in, I, th I think I have those in the community group questions. Just listen to any one of those, and that will kind of broaden and thicken what I'm talking about this morning, and really in this series. So what I want to do this morning is to kind of clear away first, I think, some of the confusion and, and um, concerns people might have about the Holy Spirit. And, and then I want to get into some clarity about what the Spirit of God is doing, what the Holy Spirit is doing, so that we can better live the Christian life, but more importantly, so that we can have a greater appreciation and adoration for Jesus himself. So, those are, so really, it's a two-point sermon. Uh, number one is the confusion about the Holy Spirit, and then number two would be the clarity about the Holy Spirit. So confusion about the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, of, of all the persons of the triune Godhead... I think it's the third person of that Godhead that, A, we know least about, and B, we are most uncomfortable with, right? So you know God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. This third one, the Holy Spirit, is one we, we don't talk enough about, and, and we're probably most uncomfortable with. And what I mean by that is, if you talk about God, most people are pretty comfortable with talking about God. Even irreligious people or non-church-going people will acknowledge God. It's, it's, a, it's, it's safe bet that people will acknowledge, they may not define him the way we would like or the way we would define him, but they'll acknowledge God. When you start talking about Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, well, they might get a little bit more uncomfortable. And that's because when you, when you move from God to Jesus, what you're effectively doing is you're actually starting to define God a little bit more concretely. You're, you're defining God more specifically. Certainly, you're defining God more historically. So people get a little bit more uncomfortable when you talk about Jesus, right, in, in public conversation. Everyone's fine talking about God. You talk about Jesus, they get a little bit uncomfortable, but they'll still make allowances for that, especially in particular contexts. But you start talking about the Holy Ghost, and people start to get really uncomfortable. As a matter of fact, one of you two or you are a little bit uncomfortable because I call him the Holy Ghost, not the Holy Spirit. And most people who say Holy Ghost, usually they're waving handkerchiefs and have sweaty brows, right? 
But outside the church, the reason people get uncomfortable talking about the Holy Spirit is because now you're directly talking about the Trinitarian God of Christian scripture. You're not just talking about ambiguous God concept that everyone from celebrities, Hollywood celebrities, to AA meetings will acknowledge. You're not just talking about a historical Jesus that Muslims, that Jews, and historians will acknowledge. You are talking about a person unique to the Christian worldview grounded explicitly in the Bible. And so when you're outside the church and you're talking about the Holy Spirit, it's a whole nother level. Now, inside the church, conversations inside the church, people can get uncomfortable about the Holy Spirit, but for different reasons. Number one, people get uncomfortable about the Holy Spirit because they kind of feel like, and I've used this analogy before, that he's kind of like your crazy uncle, that he's a bit of a loose cannon. You're not sure what he's going to do, so you avoid eye contact because if you look at him, he starts to engage you, and you're a little nervous about that, right? Some people who, and, and, and that, that's probably not our sentiment here. I'm going to tell you which one I think we, what error we make, but some people don't, are uncomfortable with the Holy Spirit because it, it's too fantastical a view of their Christian faith. And, and they have much more of a rational, refined, and maybe more a tame view of Christianity. And to talk about an engaging spirit on a daily, daily way makes them a little bit uncomfortable. Now, I don't think that's our error either. Uh, that's probably more the error of liberal Christianity, liberal Protestantism. Other people just... And I think this is probably where we get a little bit confused. We just don't know what to make of him. And since we seem to get along great with Jesus the Son and God the Father, can we just go, do we even need to engage the Holy Spirit? I think probably that's where we fall in that category. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit, there's lots of reasons we can get uncomfortable about him or people get confused about him. So let's clear away some of the common misunderstandings about the Holy Spirit before we then talk about the essence of his ministry to us, which is what we then will talk about for the next four weeks, okay? So here's the first common misunderstanding or confusion about the Holy Spirit. And, and, and some of this may be obvious to you, but it's amazing how the obvious things still fly under our radar. So the first one is that I want to say, the Holy Spirit is a he, not an it, right? He's a he, not an it. Now, it's really easy to slip into this misunderstanding because of the way Scripture often presents the Holy Spirit himself. Scripture refers to him as the sound of a rushing mighty wind. Uh, scripture refers to him as, as, as tongues of fire sitting on top of people's head as he's being poured out or filled up as if he was some kind of liquid or something, right? In Acts chapter 2, it says this, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, or verse 33, the same chapter, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he's poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So it's easy to confuse and think of him as more of a thing because of the language that sometimes Scripture uses. He's being poured out. He's a rushing wind, tongues of fire. Furthermore, in, in Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about him as if he was a, 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 a first fruits of a, some kind of a harvest. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul refers to the Holy Spirit as if he were some kind of down payment or deposit on, on a purchase of land or something in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. But the Holy Spirit is indeed a person. 
And later in Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about the Spirit having a mind of his own, right? In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, Paul commands us not to grieve the Spirit. Now, the Spirit can't be grieved if he was an it, right? You can resist an it, but you can't grieve an it. You, you can only grieve a person. And so we see very clearly that the Holy Spirit is, in fact, a person. And probably one of the best ways we see that is from Jesus' words himself in John 14. We're going to unpack this text a lot more. Uh, well, I don't know if you know this, but the Gospel of John is one of the most richest sources of our knowledge of the Holy Spirit. And the reason I'm making a point of that is, in most conversations in the evangelical church today, when we think of the Spirit... We're not thinking of the Gospel of John. We're thinking of Ephesians or the, or excuse me, Corinthians or the Book of Acts. But God, John's Gospel gives us the richest material to understand the Holy Spirit. Well, this is what Jesus says in, in chapter 14. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, another helper that was similar to him, that was like him, to be with you forever. And so the Spirit is a he, not an it. Now, related to this phenomenon, I want to say here's a second probably misconception that maybe not we don't think this, but the way we kind of act or interact with them, we do, and that is this. Number one, the Holy Spirit is a person before a power. This is really important to stop and think about. He's not an impersonal power like, like the force, right? He's not some vague, ambiguous spirit being out there that we don't know or have relationship with. Friends, one of the unique truths of the Christian faith is the rela relationality of the Christian faith. And, and that's what the Holy Spirit is. I, you know, if, 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 you like, if you're the kind of person that gets by, by on, on, on having good life hacks, that might get you by, but a life hack doesn't care about you, Right? Maybe you're the kind of person that has a diet or workout programs, and that might make you feel good, but it doesn't matter at all if you show up or not because it doesn't know, right? Maybe you're someone who practices mindfulness, but mindfulness doesn't care one way or another if it benefits you because it's just a technique, nothing more. But the Holy Spirit is a person who cares about you. The Holy Spirit knows you. He's in your corner. Your life matters to him. Whether you show up or not matters to him. How you feel matters to him. These things count to him. Now, for sure, we'll talk about this in our series, he is the power of God. No doubt about it. The Holy Spirit is the power of God. But first and foremost, we have to remember he's a person. Remember what Jesus says in John 14. Another helper. He is a person. Which means, as a person, he has his own purpose, he has an opinion, and he has an agenda. He's not just a power we tap into to make use for ourselves. He has a purpose, he has an opinion, and he has an agenda. And the reason I bring this out is because oftentimes when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we forget about his personhood. And, and if we relate with him at all, we relate with him basis on some kind of, that he's some kind of power. You know, if you have a, a Pentecostal charismatic background to you, the power of the Spirit is available to you in, in a terms of, you know, the ability to speak in tongues, give a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge or to prophesy or some kind of thing like that, cast out demons. He's that power. 
if you have a, a, a pietistic evangelical background, he is the power uh, to overcome sin, right? Kind of a, a Wesleyan perfectionism. He is the power to help you overcome the sin in your life or maybe more the kind of existential reality. He's the power to overcome loneliness or meaningless or despair in your life. He's the power of positivity, right? That, that's very common in pietistic evangelical circles. If you're, if you're more of a, a doctrinalist type, behaviorist type, He's the power to understand all truth and scripture and the power to reform your life morally, right? These are powers, the way we interact with the Holy Spirit. But here's the fundamental flaw in all of these views. In each view, whether it's the Pentecostal view of the, the power to speak in tongues or cast out demons, or the pietistic, traditional evangelical view, the power to overcome sin, or the behavioristic view, the power to know scripture and be different, who's at the center of all those? You and me as the Christian, right? We have this amazing ability to co-opt everything and make it about us, don't we? And, you know, I think non-Christians see this as well when they look at the church. When we say that we're all about God, but we have an amazing way to make God all about us, right? And, and you can hear this in certain phrases that they might say, like, oh, your Christianity is just a crutch, Right? You're just using it because you need something to help you. Or Karl Marx's favor, uh, famous quote that Christianity is just opium for the masses. The only thing that, that we, we, we tap into this because we need something to help us get through. So they see that sometimes that we are actually, in a lot of ways, co-oping God to make God be about us when we're actually saying we're all about him, but we're trying to make him all about us. And they see that, right? And so they might say, look, so what? I'm living for myself. At least I'm being honest about it. You say you're all about God, but it seems that you want to make God all about you. So what's the difference between you and I? And there's some truth in that. So I want to say something that may be a little bit controversial, but I think gets the point. So here it is. I told the elders this morning, this is going to be my pull quote, right? And here it is. The Holy Spirit is not Christian-centered. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit is not Christian-centered. The Holy Spirit is Christ-centered. And, and that little difference is all the difference in the world. The Holy Spirit is not Christian-centered. The Holy Spirit is Christ-centered. In other words, he's Christ-centric, right? Christ-centered. So the essence of the Holy Spirit's ministry is Christ-centric, not therapeutic. In other words, his job is not simply to make us feel better about ourselves as if the fulfillment of God's plan of the ages was that you and I feel good about ourselves. That's not what he's about. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is Christocentric, not charismatic. He's not about a display of bizarre spiritual experiences as if God's plan of the universe or the ages is fulfilled in some kind of religious circus show. Okay? The Holy Spirit's ministry is Christocentric, not behavioristic. It's not just us living more better lives as if God's plan is fulfilled that we all behave better. That's not what the Holy Spirit is about. To put any of those as the primary focus of the Spirit will always lead us to error. Let me say that again. If we think about the Spirit and primarily think a bit about Him in terms of the spiritual gifts He gives us, or the ability to overcome our sin, or the ability to just live changed lives, that's always going to inevitably lead to error and even border on idolatry because who's the focus? We are. 
right? It becomes about my gifts, right? My behavior, my feelings. You see how we can easily make the Spirit about us when you all know who's the Spirit supposed to be about? Jesus. But functionally speaking, if we're not being real intentional about the way we think about his ministry, we functionally make him about us and not about Jesus at all. Even though those things may be things like spiritual gifts or change lifestyles or just kind of how I move through life, it's still about us. Well-intended, no doubt. But it, it takes the emphasis and puts it on the wrong object. And, and we want to correct that. We want to think biblically about what the Holy Spirit is about so we can come and step with what he's doing. And by the way, I put a great book in our book spot. I didn't put a price on it or anything. I couldn't find the stickers. It's by J.I. Packer, and it's called Keeping in Step with the Spirit. And I love the title because what he's saying is the Holy Spirit's doing something particular, and we got to come along and get in alignment with what he's doing rather than think that he's here for us. And that's a little bit of what I want us to do in this series. So that's clearing up some of the confusion about the Holy Spirit. Now let's get some clarity on the Spirit. Clarity about the Holy Spirit. Now, friends, I, I think the reason we mistakenly assume that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is Christian-centered and forget that it's actually Christ-centered is because for the most part, the majority of where we get our information about the Holy Spirit comes from the book of Acts and the epistles, okay? Now, hang with me here because this is, this. I was talking to the elders this morning and we actually had a great conversation in the green room before service. This has been really helpful and, and, and really starting to put in a broader context my understanding of the Holy Spirit. Most of what we see in the church today, people get their understanding of the Spirit of God from either the book of Acts or the epistles. Now, the book of Acts was written to describe the birth the growth and the spread of the church, and the epistles were written to kind of tease out uh, what Christian discipleship looks like to Christ in the growth and spread of the church, and the Holy Spirit plays a critical role in both of those, okay? See what I'm saying? So the book of Acts is descriptive, a historical description of what happened when the church was born and exploded and spread. The epistles were written it, it, it laying the foundation for all these churches and Christians as the gospel spread what their discipleship was to look like. Does that make sense? That's how those books roll, uh, uh, work together. But the epistles were all written assuming that the people who were receiving these letters, whether it was Paul, whether it was Peter, whether it was James or Jude, they were written assuming that the people receiving their letters already understood the gospel themes and stories that's found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that speak of the nature of our discipleship, which is 100% Jesus-centered. Okay, so I'm building something here, right? Our understanding of the Holy Spirit comes from Acts and the epistles. The epistles, all those letters that were written, were written to churches assuming that whether they were a Jewish or Gentile God-fearers, they had heard the themes and the stories of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that describe the nature of our discipleship relationship to Jesus Christ. See, that, that's what's going on here. So, and, and that being a 100% Jesus-centered. So here's where it gets, here's one of the points I want to make. The doctrines on which our discipleship rests, including everything we know about the Holy Spirit, are clearest in the epistles. 
But the nature of that discipleship relationship is most vividly seen in the Gospels. So in other words, we learn what the Christian life is like most clearly in the epistles. But it's based on the assumption that we understand the Gospels that show the nature of this discipling relationship we have with our Lord. In other words, they're very connected. Whatever we learn about the Holy Spirit in the epistles has to be grounded in the Gospels. Now, Tom Munson made something really, made a really a significant point this morning. I didn't realize how significant until after the fact. Some of the challenges, we read the Gospels, yeah, there's some things about the Spirit, okay. But then we jump into the epistles or the book of Acts and we hear Corinthians and all that stuff that's going on. And we think, okay, that's the teaching. But here's something that, that often we don't think about. The epistles were written before the Gospels were written. They didn't have the Gospels. They just knew the stories, and then the epistles were written based on what they knew of the Gospels. The Gospels were written later when they realized that, hey, we need to continue the story and testimony of Jesus Christ for ongoing generations because we don't have that document of his lived life. So the Gospels were written after the epistles. The problem is, when you look in your Bible, what comes first? The Gospels, then the Epistles. So you think the theology is developing this way when in fact, no, 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 the Epistles came first in chronological time, then came the Gospels. But in terms of priority, it's the Gospels first and the Epistles build on the Gospels. My whole point is simply this. Everything we learn about the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts and the Epistles has to be filtered through what Jesus says the Holy Spirit's job is in the Gospels. That's how the early church would have understood it. Because they heard the gospel stories first. The, proclaim, the proclamation of the gospel from uh, Paul and, and Peter and all of these. And they started churches looking into the Old Testament, understanding that Christ was the realization of all that. And then they got these epistles from the apostles. And then, as time went on, they, the, the gospels were written. And so, everything we learn about the Holy Spirit in the epistles is actually based on what comes in the gospel narratives. Here's what I'm trying to get at. Whatever your view of the Holy Spirit is, and in our contemporary culture, the charismatic Pentecostal movement is huge, and, and I love them. One of my best friends, I call him the hostile Pentecostal. I, I just love the brother because he helped me understand my daily dependence on the Spirit of God. Whatever your understanding of the Pentecostalism or the Spirit of God is, has to not be rooted in the epistles, but the gospels, because that lays the foundation. So the question we have to ask is, what does Jesus say the job of the Holy Spirit is? And everything else we read in the Bible has to be consistent with that if we're going to understand it. That makes sense? And friends, it's in John's gospel. So now that you have your, you open up, I forgot to ask you, open up to John chapter 13. Okay. I guess you could say this is a classic case of my a uh, 20-minute introduction to a 10-minute sermon. And it's in John's Gospel. Now, by the way, the Holy Spirit shows up in all the Gospels, but for the most part, it is, in, it is in the ministry that he had ongoing throughout the Old Testament that still in many ways continues on. It's just now filled out a little bit more. But it's in John's Gospel that we get the clearest understanding of the Spirit's new covenant ministry to us, his church. Now, in John chapter 13 to 16, these four chapters 
is where Jesus promises the Holy Spirit to his disciples. And what is taught here, friends, is super critical. Okay, and the reason I'm emphasizing that is, you know, some of you know my story. I have a Pentecostal charismatic background. They were the people that took care of me as a new believer, and I got grounded in that. I went to a Pentecostal Bible college. Did all, I've seen all kinds of crazy Pentecostal things. And, and, and a lot of it was, I think, mislit, mis wrong, if I'm going to be honest. But, but I love them, but here's the thing. What we read here is critical. Why? Context, right? You, you, you real estate agents, what's the three most important things in real estate? Location, location, location. I, we even know that we're not real estate agents. What's the, mm, here's the problem, guys. I'm thinking all kinds of things. Okay, what's the most important thing in Bible study? Context, context, context. Obviously, there's a lot more important things in Bible study, but you get the point. What's John 13 to 16? Just from a, from, a, from, a, from a literary perspective, of the 21 chapters of John, right, covering the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, um, it's about three years of Jesus' life. More than one-third of this gospel, the last nine chapters, is just the last week of Jesus' life. So in terms of importance, the way John handles the three years of ministry of Jesus' life, he gives, like, most of the, he gives uh, 12 chapters to almost three years and then nine chapters to the last week. That ought to tip you off when you read John's gospel that what's coming from 13 to, to 21 is critical material, right? Specifically in chapters 14 to 16, this is where Jesus is talking to his disciples on the night of his betrayal. Okay, get the scene here. We get into John chapter 14, and, and Jesus is talking that he's going to be betrayed. So he talks to his disciples about what their ongoing future discipleship is going to look like apart from him. In other words, how do they move forward at this point that he's no longer going to be? Now, apart from him, at least in the way they had experienced up to that point because he was physically with them. Jesus is saying, this is what your ongoing discipleship is going to look like because I'm not going to be here. This is critical. As a matter of fact, it's so important. If you read the text, I encourage you guys this week, read these four chapters, three, three chapters. They felt it. In chapters 13 and 14, man, they were mostly in 14. They're in a panic. Christ is he's going away and we can't follow him? Well, what are you talking about you're going to go away and we can't be with you? What are we going to do? How are we going to move forward? And what does Jesus say? In effect, Jesus says, I'm going to give you the Spirit. He's another helper like me. And through him, you will abide in me. You're going to be made like me. And he's going to help you see me and understand me and adore me and be, uh, rejoice in me. Don't worry. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I have got you covered. That, that's the message that Jesus is sending to these disciples at this critical juncture. So whatever he says, you know has got to be completely, totally important. Because the context is, Jesus' people are saying, what are we going to do without you? He says, don't worry. There's another one like me coming. And this is what he's going to do. So the question we then have to ask is, what then is the essence of the ministry of the Holy Spirit? We just have to, and we're going to do some of that right now, where we read what Jesus says. And what Jesus says 
is, is not what we would anticipate, at least at first glance. It's not talking about spiritual gifts and tongues and word of wisdom and prophecy and exercise of demons or whatever, or, or, or even uh, living a victorious Christian life and, all, and feeling good about it. It doesn't talk about that stuff. That comes, but that's not the leading edge. He says, the Spirit's essential ministry is to mediate the presence of Christ to the church. Now, when I say that the, the, the Spirit's essential ministry is to mediate the presence of Christ, you know I don't mean physically, right? It's relationally. The Spirit's job is to mediate the ongoing presence of Christ to the church throughout the ages. And that's what we're going to be unpacking in this series. I want to I kind of give you, I guess, a little bit of an introduction to that. So, through the Spirit, Jesus is here. So look with me, John chapter 14, verse 26. This is what the Lord says. But the helper, the parakletos, a comforter, an advocate, a counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. So this first thing of, of, of Jesus being here, what Jesus is saying is, look, the helper the Holy Spirit, he will continue the discipling relationship we have. He's personally approaching you. He's addressing you with the things he knows to be true. Right? You see that again in, in, in John chapter 16, verses 13 to 15. When the spirit of truth comes, referring to the parakletos, the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the Spirit, and by the way, when, when he's saying that he'll let you know all things, he's not saying all things about any topic you want, right? This is not an excuse not to be good students. Again, context. What is the context? Jesus is reminding them of his ministry to them and through them to the world in regards to the gospel. The Holy Spirit is going to help you understand, get you into the scriptures, recall to mind to do what Jesus taught. Now, if you come from a Reformed tradition, you know these categories. When we talk about Christ, we say there's three offices that Christ has. Prophet, priest, and king, right? Some of you have heard that, and you can reform tradition. You know that. In the same way, this parakletos, this another helper, does the same thing. And in the sense of Jesus being the prophet, he speaks the word of God. He is the word of God. The Holy Spirit is functioning in the same way, speaking the word of God to the people of God. He's functioning in this prophetic role so we can understand Christ, right? Now, he mediates that in many different ways. We see in the book of Ephesians that he raises up teachers in the church, pastor teachers. That's one of my primary roles is to continue to teach, but I'm not teaching you anything new. I'm just getting you into the text. The Holy Spirit functions in the same way. Through the Spirit, Jesus is here, actively engaging us or addressing us with his word so we can understand him. Right? And so look at it this way. The Holy Spirit's job is to expound the ministry of Christ, the teaching ministry of Christ, so we understand Christ. Right? And he uses his word to do that principally. And he uses other individuals, teachers in the church as well. Secondly, Jesus is actively 
powerfully enlightening, animating, and transforming us. So Jesus is here, but Jesus is also active. And what's he doing? He's enlightening us. He's animating us. He is transforming us. Look at John chapter 14, verse 17. And again, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to distill the message of what Jesus is saying in, in kind of a short amount of time in this sermon. I'm really hoping you'll go home and just read these three chapters. So John 14, 17, listen to what Jesus says. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him. Why? Because he dwells with you and will be in you. And notice, after Jesus is laying this foundation, he launches into John 15. If you're familiar with John 15, you know that's the famous chapter where Jesus is saying, abide in me. Like a, a, a vine or a branch is connected to the vine and bears fruit, that's how you will bear fruit. Abide in me. What's the context of that? Through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you are abiding in Christ and bearing fruit and showing that you are one of God's as he's transforming you, as, he, as he's changing you because you're abiding in him. Look at chapter 16. So that, that, that's, that's the context of chapter 15, the abiding in Christ. We're abiding in Christ through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that makes Christ active to us. John chapter 16, verse 7 through 11. Nevertheless, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I was just thinking that there... You would say, well, okay. Jesus, as God the Son, here's the amazing truth about the incarnation. He became embodied. He's always embodied. Right? You say, why did Jesus have to leave? Well, then he would be physically located in one place, and his ministry would be limited to his physical location. But the Spirit is spirit. He's not physical. He can be anywhere, anytime. And so while it would be great to have Jesus here, you know, we could all take a trip to Jerusalem every now and again to sit at the feet of the master. It's better that the spirit is here because the spirit can be wherever it needs to be. Jesus being physical, incarnated God in human flesh, he is located in one place and one time. So this was very strategic of Jesus. This is not going to work. I could stay here with you all. I could just be sitting here perpetually answering your questions, but then everyone's got to come to me or I got to go to you all. But the spirit doesn't need to do that. He's not limited by physical locality. He can be everywhere, anytime. So this is very strategic of him. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And then verses 9 through 11, he, he defines what that means regarding sin, righteousness, and judgment. And, and we're going to unpack this, particularly in weeks 3, 4, and 5. The, the point is, the Spirit makes Jesus active. He's transforming us. He's actively enlightening the word of God to us, transforming us. So if he has a prophetic role, in some sense, helping us to understand Christ through the word, in some sense, we would say this is the kingly role. How do we live differently? How do we execute the, the, the kind of the policies of the king, and how do we further his kingdom here? And so if one way is we try to understand Christ, the spirit's role here is so that we can put on Christ, Right? In one case, the Spirit is expounding the Scriptures so we can understand Christ. In another way, case, the, scripture, the Spirit is applying the Scriptures so we can put on Christ. And then third and finally, Jesus is here through the ministry of the Spirit. The ministry of the Spirit, Jesus is active, and Jesus is 
gloriously worthy of all of our worship, trust, affections, and, and allegiances. Look at John chapter 14, verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And what is the essence of that manifestation? Chapter 16, verse 14 tells us, he will glorify me. The Spirit's job. So here he acts like the priest, being an arbiter between God and man. You want to know who Jesus is? This is Jesus. He's glorious. He's trustworthy. He is beautiful. So if he expounds the scriptures so we can understand Christ, if he applies the scriptures so we can put on Christ, he, he is, I guess, <laughs> well, I guess I would say, uh, adoring the scriptures so that we would rejoice in Christ. That's the Spirit's role. So he exists entirely to make, make, make us realize that Jesus is here. His word is addressing us personally. Jesus is active. His word is transforming us to be like him. And most importantly, probably, is Jesus is glorious, worthy of adoration, so that we can rejoice in him. This is the ongoing ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that has to be the leading edge. Do you see why now, if we lead with things like uh, spiritual gifts or just victorious Christian living, we're, we, that might be right, but it's deficient. We have to see the Spirit's role in totally laser beam focus on who Jesus Christ is. His character, his purposes, and his worth. And then we move out from there. Adding what maybe the book of Acts or Corinthians or Ephesians or Peter lets us know about the Holy Spirit. But we don't start there. We start with what Jesus says here. Now, there's obviously going to be so much more that we can say about the Holy Spirit the, than, than we can in these five weeks. But, but nothing less could be said than his, his essential ministry is not Christian-centered. His essential ministry is Christ-centered. And because Christ is the bringer, the author and, 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 and of our salvation and the life that that brings, it makes sense that the one who gives life is totally focused on Jesus as well. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit about the, his actual work, what some of that might look like, and then we'll talk about the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, and the power of the Spirit. But I wanted to present something that's going to hold this whole thing together, and that is the, the present active ministry of Jesus Christ. And, and I think what you'll see, as I conclude with this, I think what you'll see is, and Scott, one of our elders, made this comment this morning, some of the modern understanding of the Spirit seems so out of left field. When we look at the Old Testament and the rest of what he's doing, the way we think about the Holy Spirit seems out of left field because we're not grounding it in what Jesus said his ministry is about. And hopefully that will become clear, especially when we talk about the gifts and the fruit of the Spirit. So let's pray. Father, just thank you for this opportunity to unpack the scriptures and, and dive, do a deep dive into the work of the Holy Spirit. Lord, as we go into the coming weeks, we pray that the, the, the Spirit's ministry would be really active in our lives, especially as we jump into the, 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 the epistle of Romans and, and do a deep dive into probably one of the richest New Testament books. But Lord, I also go back to what you said. If we, being evil, know how to good, give, give good gifts... How much more our Father be giving the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And so, Lord, that's our prayer. We, we want more of the Holy Spirit. 
We want more of that, that present, active, rejoicing ministry of Christ in our lives. And we'll thank you for it. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. For more information and resources from Christ Community, visit us at www.ccclh.org.